Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Race podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies or die trying. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there, and, you've had a, and I hope that you've had a happy holiday celebration. I know a lot of folks are, folks are rushing to try to finish and uh, to perhaps finish some personal races and goals they have to see how many movies they can cram in before the new year. So good luck with those of you doing that. Um, also, a small bit of housekeeping in related to that. Uh, I'm doing a survey, mostly based on the AODR Discord, about the best films of 2022 and the most anticipated films of 2023. So once you're done watching everything you're going to for the year, go ahead and submit it there. Uh, I'll look it in the show notes and share the results uh, after the new year. In any case, for this week's episode and for the next two weeks, we're doing a series of episodes that we do every year. Uh, before the nominations are announced at the end of January, we spend the next couple of episodes looking over the films that, according to Gold Derby, have a decent chance of being nominated for Best Picture this year. The idea being that any film that's nominated for Best Picture will also likely be nominated for uh, in at least multiple other categories, so you're going to get more bang for your buck by watching these films. Either if they are nominated for Best Picture, then you got the Best Picture nominee and everything they were nominated for, or if they even if they miss Best Picture, they're likely going to get nominated for something, um, as opposed to perhaps focusing on films that you know maybe only have a shot at one category at best. Now, as I have for the past couple of years, I'm going to bring on some guests for these episodes because who wants to hear me monologue about films for an hour by myself? Um, this week, we have some very dear friends of the show, Jeff and Pierre from Classic Movies Live. They've been on the show a couple times before. Last year, they, we had them on to talk about the best picture contenders, Belfast, Licorice Pizza, King Richard, and Coda. And then the year before, we had them on the episode right before Oscar night uh, to give predictions on who we thought would win each category. Now, for this week's selection of films, we had a bit of a hard time figuring out a unifying theme at the start of the episode. Honestly, you know, these were just mostly films that I knew we had all seen, right? Uh, by the end of the show, though, we concluded these were all films that we all liked and just basically sparked joy one or another, though perhaps different amounts of joy for different films for all of us. Um, these films are Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis, Glass Onion, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Now, I initially recorded this a few weeks back. Uh, you can probably tell by some of the stuff we say, like, you know, Avatar hadn't yet come out yet. Shortlists weren't out yet uh, by that point. It is also ahead of my ill-fated holiday break uh, that COVID ended up wrecking. So, you know, the numbers I'm quoting on Gold Derby are a little bit off versus where they are as of the publication of this episode. Still, as of publication, all of these films are within the top 10 for Best Picture, according to Gold Derby. Uh, Glass Onions at number 10, Elvis is at number 9, Banshee's at 3rd, and Everything Ever all at once as the number one film they most likely to get nominated for Best Picture. We definitely have a lot to say about all of these films, and you know, one of our and one of our and one of these films are our consensus favorite film of the year, and perhaps one of the best films of all time. Uh, before we dive into that and tell you who that film is, a quick warning: this is a spoiler-friendly conversation, so you have been warned in case you haven't seen these films yet. Though somehow for Glass Onion, we say it's spoiler. It's, we can talk about spoilers, but we still completely avoid really talking about any spoilers um, and still have a meaningful conversation. Right, in any case, without further ado, here's my conversation with Jeff and Pierre. And so here we are with our guests. You know them. You love them. Hopefully nobody hates them. Uh, it's the guys from Classic Movie Live, uh, Jeff and Pierre. Uh, welcome back to the show, guys. We're back. Hey, I, I guess I usually go first. And 
Pierre wasn't ready. But yeah, why don't you guys go ahead and reintroduce yourselves for to anyone who hasn't uh, heard you before? To either reintroduce you yourselves to people who know you, uh, so they can identify your voices, or uh, for people who haven't heard you before, just you know introduce yourselves for for the new audience members. Oh, I'm Pierre. I guess we're we're both avid movie fans. I like to make my own movies sometimes. So I I, I think I've been into movies since like high school. We have been podcasting for like what three years now we just finished season three I, we went from competing movie reviewers to reviewing together so Love, lovely how that works out uh and then you guys you know the, your podcast is classic movie lives and sometimes uh what's it you, you had kicking it with the kendrick which i think you guys completed until she makes a new movie right that one is currently complete uh as soon as i have a way to show pierre alice starling we're gonna bring in we're gonna bring back alice starling you had a leo one right yes and that's one that i i have plans for i think like it's one that's not finished it's the 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 journey of that podcast is finished but we still haven't covered all of leonardo dicaprio's filmography so we will go back to it we just got to kind of figure out how to do it yeah in the meantime what like how and your your main one i would say is probably classic movies live so you know just for anyone who hasn't heard of it before which you really good should go i'll put the link in the show notes but just tell people what classic movie lives is live is about and what your guys' take on on how the approach movie movie reviewing is so uh classic movies live is all pre-recorded uh we record it sometimes up to three weeks in advance so that uh, it's only live for us and we'll usually talk about movies that uh just came out which um sometimes we hope, will become classics, but then we will have been there on the ground floor. In 15 years, when Velocipaster is the uh, most renowned movie of all time, we weren't the first people to do a podcast on it, but we were in the first, like, 20. Nice, nice. We were damn close. Uh Damn close. Uh, and obviously, you guys, you know, you you at least attempt to do the Oscars death race uh, every year um, to, to, to varying degrees of success. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on this year's death race, uh, having tried it so far? Like, obviously, we don't know exactly who the nominees are at this point in time. We're also recording it a little bit in advance because of uh, the, the holidays and, and whatnot. But uh, what do you guys think of what, how this race is shaping up to be? I think it's pretty good. Like there's there's a lot of good movies this year. That's always like my main concern with the Oscars death race is are there actually a lot of good movies? And there certainly are this year. Uh, this year I started being more active on Twitter. Um, people who know me on Twitter still will know that that doesn't mean that I'm very active on Twitter, but I'm a lot more active than I was. I'm just sort of like starting to find out what film Twitter is like. And I don't know if I like that yet. Um, but I was I wrote in my notes that the uh, the discourse around these around movies this year is a little annoying. But like I don't even know if that's true or if I'm just grumpy and also being introduced to film Twitter. So yeah, I just I just hang out in their Discord, uh, the the Academy of Death Racers Discord. What about you, Pierre? How are you thinking about the Death Race so far? Um, I I I think this year's been definitely the best year. I mean, since 2019 at least. That was a really good year too, though. I'm really excited for the Oscars this year. I think there's actually going to be some solid competition, especially after like last year was like probably the worst Oscars I've seen like in my mem like in memory it was like I think the only year I I didn't like any of the Best Picture nominees like at all. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm really excited for this year. This year, like I can think of like ten movies already that I think would make great nominations. Awesome. I remember. Yeah. 
last year might be the only time I ever was watching the Oscars and got physically angry. Like I had to take off my headphones and like go on a walk the moment that Jessica Chastain won. I was like, that is the worst movie I've seen this year and the most awful performance in a movie I've seen this year. And she just won an Oscar for it. Eh, there were worse things. There were worse things that I don't that, think that, there that, were. That, uh, there was a slap that happened last year. I think you might have remembered that. But, uh... <laughs> oh shit! I forgot about that. <laughs> you just blocked yeah. it from your memory. All right. Uh, so that whole thing was like a fever dream. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. No. Yeah. Fever dream is a good way to describe it. Uh, in any case, so you know, I, like I said in the introduction to this, you know, there's no real theme for this one. Uh, you know, I, I would say maybe I could say that maybe three of the four of these are so-called box office surprises um another three of the four could be maybe strong screenplay contenders another three of the four could be acting contenders right nothing that really ties all four of them together though um but i know you guys have all seen these four um so yeah you, you were you gonna say something Jeff? oh i was gonna say and four of these four are good movies so you know there's a theme that is a theme though i will say i will say the varying degrees of good we'll say varying degrees of good sure uh, but yeah, so, you know, as usual, we're going to go through all of these four films. There's going to be a Banshees of Inisherin, uh, Elvis, uh, Glass Onion, A Knives Out Story, uh, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, warning, you know, we are putting this episode out uh, toward the end of the month, right? Uh, I think after Christmas is when this one is scheduled to go up. Uh, so by that time, um, these will all be available on streaming at that point. So uh, this will be a spoiler-friendly discussion, uh, particularly relevant for uh, Glass Onion, since that is kind of like a whodunit and kind of revolves around the whole mystery element of it so you have been warned go back and watch those films and then come back to listen to to us um but yeah so first up we have banshees of inisherin uh this is from uh i believe searchlight uh it's a black tragic comedy written and directed by martin mcdonough who previously wrote and directed the oscar contender three billboards outside of ebbing missouri it's set on a fictional iris island of inisherin um uh, at the tail end of the Irish Civil War in the 1920s, focuses on two lifelong friends, the well-meaning, if a bit dull, Patrick, uh, played by Colin Farrell, and then folk musician Colm, played by Brendan Gleeson, both of whom previously worked with McDonough on his directorial debut in Broods, uh, which was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. Uh, one day out of the blue, Colm decides he doesn't want to be friends with Patrick, uh, who doesn't take the rejection all that well and increasingly tries to bring things back to how they used to be to uh, varying mixed results. Um, also featured in the film are Patrick's sister, uh, Sobhan, uh, played by Carrie Condon, and outside of Dominic, played by Perry, Barry Keegan. Um, as of recording, according to the Gold Derby, it is, uh, Barry, Banshees of Inisherin is, is currently ranked third for Best Picture, fifth for Director, second uh, for Actor, uh, um, for Colin Farrell, second for Supporting Actress for Carrie Condon, second and sixth for Supporting Actor for Brendan Gleeson and Barry Keegan, respectively, second for Original Screenplay, and fourth for Score. Uh, Banshee's debut at the Venice International Film Festival won Best Actor for Colin Farrell and Best Screenplay for Madonna. Uh, it was released by Suicide Pictures here in the States on September 5th and will be available to rent digitally December 13th. It'll also be on HBO Max on the US in that day and on Disney Plus in the UK on the 21st. Currently has an 87 on Metacritic, 97% critics, and 76 audience on Rotten Tomatoes, currently the fourth highest of the year there, uh, and then 4.2 stars on Letterboxd out of 74,000 reviews. Uh, let's kick it over to Jeff first. What did you think of Banshees of Inisherin? I think that while it's not incorrect to call Colm a folk musician, that's giving him a lot of credit. <laughs> Fair enough. That's that's the description on Wikipedia. So 
Uh, I loved this movie. This movie was, if in any other year, this would have been my favorite movie of the year. Um, but my favorite movie of the year is something else we're going to talk about. So I'll leave that. But, uh, this movie, this movie hit really hard for me. Um, the, I think, I mean, I already really like Martin McDonough as a, um, as a writer and as a director. And this situation is one that's so weird for a movie, but also like I've been on both sides of it and it, uh, sucks a lot. And I felt personally attacked, uh, by Martin McDonough's screenplay and so I will fight him if ever I meet him. And I hope that when I meet him, he's holding many Oscars because this movie deserves to win them. All right. And then uh, what about you, Pierre? What did you think of the film? Uh, I, th- I thought it was amazing. Definitely the best movie of the fall, I guess, <laughs> is what I can say. I, I, I guess um, I loved how simple it was. And it really, with how minimal it is, I think it really leaves like a profound effect after you watch it it's a it's a very heart-wrenching movie i guess and uh yeah like like jeff said amazing performances really good script really unique setting um this is definitely like one of my favorites for best picture yeah uh, i definitely like you know having seen uh, not all but but a lot of the contenders you know that i would definitely put this in i would say like my top three for the year i think for sure um in terms of of, of this overall quality um and even even to some degree enjoyableness, right? Like it it is like a, it is kind of dark, it is kind of tragic, but it also it also is surprisingly funny in a lot of points, basically. Um, especially when it comes to like the dialogue that they have between each other, and you know, there's something about like the the setting on like the small Irish rural community that just like, you know, it it's set in the 1920s, but it feels kind of timeless to a, to a degree, um, which I found which I found really interesting. And then yeah, it's just like a story of how people bottle things up and then they don't let it out. And then how sometimes you just need to escape from, I don't know, would you call this toxic masculinity or, or, or some sort of toxicness? Like, well, how would you describe the, what's going on between the two there in, in the entire town in general, frankly, <laughs> mental illness. <laughs> and it just seems like they were both, they're all kind of crazy. Like, I think some parts of the movie are like definitely very odd and, I, it helps it helps keep a realistic um, image because of the setting, which is that they are in an isolated town. And part of the theme is that everyone is kind of insane because they have no exposure to anything else but the people w- within their vicinity, I guess. And like, I guess everyone just knows everyone else's business, which, you know, that's the way in, it is in more than just little Irish small towns. But like just there's there's nothing better to do it's a i i love how within the first 10 minutes of this movie this movie starts in the morning and within the first 10 minutes it's still the morning and everyone's going to the pub because there's nothing left to do it's toxic something i guess i'm not really sure what exactly yeah i mean because there's something in there like i think specifically the supporting actor uh first carrie condon right as a supporting actress i definitely think she should be nominated uh in there um Honestly, probably. I haven't seen Woman Talking yet, but I, as of what I've seen so far, she's definitely up there for would like to see her win for me at this point. Um, and then Perry, Barry Keegan, right? Like both of them are individuals who kind of dream of something more than what's in their town. 
And in the end, right, again, spoiler-friendly zone, one of them, you know, Sirvan ends up leaving, right, in order to escape, and the other uh, ends up dying, right, by the end of the film, basically, right? So it's like this kind of, like, toxic miasma around the town. It's either you get consumed by it, and then kind of, like, whatever happens with Patrick and Cole end up, you know, ruining their relationship or you escape it or you end up dying right so i don't know what 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 mcdonough is necessarily trying to say is like get out of small towns basically or like don't let things bottle up or whatever but it's definitely a lot of a lot to chew on i think i don't know i think what i like about this movie is that it's not i i feel like it's really hard i think i said this in our episode on it too like I can't condense this movie down to 104, uh, down to a tweet or down to even a paragraph summary. Like I started writing, when I saw this at TIFF, I started writing my review for it. And like after a full page, I'm like, there's not enough space in this to say what this movie is doing. And basically, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, I almost find it hard to assign a cut and dry moral to this. Like is Martin McDonough saying uh, small towns are toxic, I guess, but like he's saying so much more that that almost seems reductive. Yeah. It's definitely like, it's, 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 I think like you said, right? Like you've been on both sides of what happens here. So I think based on your own personal experiences in life, like you're going to take something different away from the film than someone who has different experiences. Um, moving to like specific things, right? Like, so I think this is probably one of the best had a, had a really good, like obviously a fairly small ensemble, right? Um, but I mean, all four of the people here, I think are, are worthy contenders for nominations and in many cases, even winning. Um, so, you know, Pierre, let's start with you. What did you think of like like anything particular acting wise uh, that stood out for you from any of these four individuals? Barry Keegan surprised me the most because I had seen him in other stuff. I've only seen him in like the big blockbusters so far, and I was just really surprised to see how good of a performer he was in you know much more of a, a a serious movie, right? So I think he was he was a big surprise for me, and I really hope he does well. Like I mean, like Colin Colin Farrell and ben, Brendan Gleeson, like I already knew they could act. Um, so it wasn't a, I hope they, I think they were amazing and I hope they win, but, um, like Barry Keegan and, uh, yeah, Carrie Condon were, were both really surprising for me. Uh, Jeff, any thoughts on the acting for you? Um, I mean, specifically, I want to see both of the leads do really well. I mean, I say leads, Brandon Gleason supporting, I would love to see Brandon Gleason at least get nominated and Colin Farrell, I think deserves to win uh for best actor i really liked carrie condon she's been like top of my list ever since i saw this barry keegan has grown on me because like initially i didn't dislike him in the movie but i wasn't like as as high on him as a lot of other people are coming out of this movie i mean probably compared to the other three right exactly but then also the more i like every time i think about this movie the scene i think about is the one where he's at the table and he says to carrie condon were you ever wild? And it's just so funny the way he delivers that. You, you, like, need to do, you need to do an Irish accent more, Jeff, sometimes. I, I'm trying, but I think it's not really <laughs> All right. Uh, I know you guys have done an entire other episode, which again, I'll link to in the show notes so people can check that out. But any other closing thoughts, aside from the fact that Jenny is best girl in the entire, in probably in the entire movie season? Yeah, I think she's a shoe in for the for the best donkey. Um, although there is that one other movie, Eo, but honestly, the 
the donkey in EO is more of a tar style pick, right? Like mm. that's the indie pick, but this is the this is the people's donkey. The people's donkey. All right. Uh, yeah, so I'll go ahead and link to your guys' episode, uh, unless you guys had anything else urgent urgent to say about Bansies. Um, but we'll move on to the next one, which is a completely different tone of a film. Oh my god, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, so moving on. This is what I literally saw just last night, because I've been putting it off, because it's a two-hour and like two hour and like 45-minute movie or something ridiculously long like that. Uh, Elvis. Um, so this is the music, biographical musical drama directed and co-written by the one and only Baz Luhrmann, uh, perhaps most relevant for Oscar winner, for Oscar fans for uh, winning uh, or being nominated for Best Picture for Moulin Rhodes, but of course also Great Gatsby, Romeo and Juliet, and, and many others. Um, the film follows the life of the titular rock and roll icon played by one Austin Butler, told from the perspective of his un- unethical uh, manager, Colonel, Colonel Tom Parker, played by Tom Hanks, who we'll have a lot to say about Tom Hanks. Uh, anyway, according to Gold Derby, uh, Elvis is currently ranked eighth for Best Picture, third for Best Actor for Austin Butler, second for Costume Design, fifth for Best Editing, and fourth for Production Design. Uh, in addition, uh, Next Best Derby has it ranked in the following categories Gold Derby does not yet have up. Uh, it is currently first for Hair and Makeup, third for Sound, um, and then, so yeah, so then Elvis had its world premiere at the Cannes Film Festival before releasing in the U.S. Uh, June 24th from Warner Brothers. Uh, notably, I think this is the Warner Brothers' only real contender this year in the race, which I think is relevant because historically, Warner Brothers has always had at least one Best Picture nominee. Uh, and, you know, I think with Don't Worry, Worry Darling kind of flopping, this is kind of like their best bet at this point. Um, Don't count know. out Dark Horse Black Adam. Oh, of course, of course. Upending the upending the higher power of hierarchy at the Oscars. Um. Anyway, Elvis went on to become the second highest grossing musical biopic of all time with two hundred eighty six million dollars on a budget of eighty five million. Um. It is only surpassed by Bohemian Rhapsody. Currently available to stream, of course, on HBO Max. It currently has a sixty four Metacritic, seventy seven percent critics, ninety four audience on Rotten Tomatoes, and three point five stars on Letterboxd out of three twenty seven thousand reviews. Uh. We started with Jeff uh, Pierre last time. Jeff, let's kick off with you for Elvis. Uh, this movie is kind of awesome. Uh, it's also super long, so I haven't seen it since the first time I saw it. Um, maybe I should again, but I love the manic energy of this movie. Like, this movie barely even classifies as a musical biopic. I mean, technically it is, but it's not from a valid point of view towards the musician. It's... Uh, it starts with uh, it starts with a guy like with a very old man falling over and dying, and then it like zooms in on a Christmas tree, and there's uh, just sounds all over the place. There's a, t- a sample of Britney Spears' "Toxic" in this movie. This is just like <laughs> this movie is insane. Like an insane person made this movie, and I love it. I mean, it's Baz Luhrmann, so you're probably right. Oh yeah, exactly. Like, if, if Baz Luhrmann had made anything other than this as Elvis, I would have been disappointed. All right. Uh, uh, Pierre, what do you think of, of Elvis? Do you agree? Is it an is it is insane person's film or is it something else? It's, it's definitely very bold. Um, that's like the biggest. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a solid movie. I, I was kind of, I mean, I get why it's, it's uh, I guess, a favorite for um, Best Picture or not, I guess not a favorite, but it's like relatively high ranked just because it's a biopic about one of the most famous musicians of all time. So I get it. It's just, it's a lot. Like it's a very, it's the exact opposite of 
Banshees where it's like the most maximalist film you could think of. Um, it's kind of a chore to watch, if I'm going to be honest. I don't blame you for procrastinating. It's like a lot to get through. Um, but I think that it has a lot of, you know, pluses. I thought Austin Butler was amazing in that role. Um, and I thought, I thought it was, I think the editing was amazing considering how, like, just the, it's kind of like Bohemian Rhapsody where it's like the sheer amount of editing needed to, to make this movie coherent must have been like astounding. Um, so like, like props for that too. Um, but yeah, I, I don't see this as like one of the best movies of the year. It's a movie I respect a lot this year, but it's definitely not up there. So I, I watched it last night. I just gave it, I gave it two out of five on Letterboxd, uh, which is I think lower than the average though. I know there's somebody uh, in our Discord, shout out to you, Whitney Joe, uh, who gave it a half star uh, and has not, and has, has constantly been talking about how he gave it a half star. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think, there were definitely parts I think that I definitely liked from it. I think my biggest critique, I think, is the Tom Hanks, uh, Colonel Tom Parker bit of it, which, you know, I get that he's like a crucial part to Elvis's story and like why, how his career, why his career went the way it did. Um, I just felt really tired of Tom Hanks putting on this accent saying, my boy, my boy, I made that boy over and over again, basically, um, which, you know, for a film about Elvis, it's honestly more about tom parker than it is actually about elvis uh and i think like the biggest critics like tom tom parker doesn't see elvis as a person as a result right we don't ever really get that much insight into who elvis is as a person uh and so as a result it's kind of all filtered through him and and at, at him as a money-making machine basically right which you know i think again is an interesting take I, it had been a focus if it had been focused and marketed as a uh, as like a here's a deep dive into the the mind of Tom Parker and whatnot that would have been an, a choice and, and interesting but I think like for me I personally wanted to see a little bit more into Elvis's inner mind and there were a couple of scenes like that right there was a scene where like when he's putting together the music like when he's at the the, the international hotel and he's like conducting like his orchestra and, like how you should put together the music right or like all of these like bits any scene where he's not with Tom Parker or not chaperoned by Tom Parker, you really get to see, get a better sense of who Elvis is, basically, right? Um, so yeah, I, I have a lot more to say, but but Jeff, you were gonna say something. I uh, I actually really love that aspect of the movie. Um, the the fact that it that we don't get a lot of Elvis's inner life because I mostly really hate musical biopics. I think that most of the time they're very reductive. Uh, Bohemian Rhapsody was like a crime against Queen as a huge Queen fan. And like it follow and like most musical biopics follow the exact same formula. They over lionize these like musicians who were kind of just regular guys and deserve to be not treated as regular guys, but deserve to be like examined as people, not as gods. And uh, so, you know, Typically, I don't like the normal musical biopic formula. This this movie, though, I loved the idea that it just wasn't even about Elvis. Like, this is more a movie about the world while Elvis was in it than it is actually about Elvis. Like, the fact that we get zero insight into the mind of Elvis is definitely a choice. And I don't necessarily know if it was the right choice, but I think it's a million times more interesting than any other choice I could have thought of. 
Yeah. I mean, I was already thinking like halfway through, like, like, like you said, Pierre, it's kind of like a chore to get through. So I was already like halfway through the film already thinking, how would I make this film better? Right. So, I mean, like, of like, like, you know, going back to one of my, my personal favorite biopics or so-called biopics from last year, Spencer, right. Not really a biopic and really focuses on like this one event, right. Or this one incident uh, from a semi-fictionalized take on it. Right. Something like that, where it's like, okay, instead of literally going from womb to tomb for Elvis, basically, right? Uh, focus on like one small element of Elvis's life, right? Maybe the whole element of like, I think the most compelling one would have been like the perspective of him as like, you know, a white boy, uh, essentially taking black music and popularizing it, and you know, the critiques, uh, the c- critiques and 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 uh, and praises of that, right? And like, you know, his friendship with BB King, right? And like, kind of, kind of like that. Back, back and forth. Maybe you can tie in some of like the the political activism stuff into that to some degree, right? I think that would have been a really interesting movie to focus on that specifically. Like, like what we get a montage of of essentially his entire movie career in the space of two minutes, basically, right? Uh, which like, oh, I completely forgot that he had like a movie career, right? Uh, so I, I don't know. I think I think that that's my take on that. I think that like a really good musical biopic a really good biopic of elvis would be kind of what you said and like there's four or five of those movies that exist elvis and nixon is one that comes to mind and then there's a couple of other ones a few plays like that is a thing that's been done i don't think baz lerman could have made that movie i don't think it's in baz lerman's nature to focus on a week of someone's life yeah, which I think that's where I'm like, uh, I'm kind of bored of the biopics literally doing womb to tomb at this point, as they say in West Side Story. Uh, Pierre, we haven't got uh, well, uh, any, any other thoughts you have on, on, on Elvis? Oh, well, you mentioned Tom Hanks being a, I, I know a lot of people Tom Hanks did not like Tom Hanks in this movie. I thought he was perfect because he's he's so annoying to watch and disgusting. But like, that's the point. He's like, he's so bad that people are disregarding how good a being bad he is and they just see him as like a bad actor i get i get it's like it was a very corny role um but i think it's a very corny movie and i think he like out corny baz lerman which is like quite impressive so that, that is impressive but but you think you think yeah. you think tom hanks gets supporting actor then no <laughs> no one likes him that's the problem <laughs> like he's really good but i don't think I, okay he could maybe get nominated because it's tom hanks i think it was a good role there's no way he wins just because of how unlikable the role is. I, I'm not commenting on how good the role itself was, but yeah. I don't think he's got a chance at getting nominated, but the reason I don't think he has a chance at getting nominated is because the Academy are cowards and would never nominate a willing performance. A uh, worthy performance, sorry. Fair enough. Uh, speaking of worthy performances, though, uh, the, obviously the highlight of this for many people is Austin Butler. Um, so, any thoughts specifically on his performance, right? And and you know where he stands. Does he the fa- does he have a chance to actually win, say against Colin Farrell, who we just talked about? I I think that it was a it's a great performance. I I, I just feel that Colin Farrell's performance was much more talented because I feel like he really captured a unique character, whereas. Austin Butler, obviously, he did an amazing impression of Elvis, and it was well. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say impression because it was it was a very good performance in its own right. But I still see it as, uh, you know, he's he's acting as someone else that he's that he's probably studied a lot and analyzed. He has a great voice too, apparently. Yeah, I I, I guess I respect Colin Farrell's performance more. I actually think Austin Butler has a much better chance of winning it, um, just based on how he's 
doing uh he's acting as elvis if that makes mm. sense mm. What, about, what about you jeff I, I think he's Colin Farrell's only real competition. I mean, obviously there's still Brendan Fraser who we're not going to talk about today and I haven't seen, but of the things I've seen, I would say it's a two horse race between Austin Butler and Colin Farrell. Awesome. Uh, and obviously there's all the production stuff. Like if there is one thing Baz Luhrmann film can do, it is the production, right? Like I mentioned, fourth for production design, uh, 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 first for hair and makeup, third for sound, second for costume design. I mean, even if, you know, like, you know, even if uh, above the act, above the line, the only nomination is for Austin Butler, um, do you think like the below the line, you know, technical nominations will be enough to get this to best picture as well? I think it might be enough to get it nominated for Best Picture. Uh, that's about where that ends. But this movie could absolutely clean up below the line. Like, it's going to be represented in, like, every one of those categories. And it has a pretty good shot at winning a lot of them. Which one do you think is the most likely? Right? Is it makeup or editing or sound? I, or... I, think it's, I think it's either hair and makeup or costumes. Probably hair and makeup, but costumes were really good in this one, too. Production design is another strong one. Yeah. All right. Uh, any other thoughts on Elvis as well before we move on to the next one? It's a it's a really solid movie, and I think in a I think in a weaker year, this this like if this was made last year, this this would have been uh, had much better chances. But I think this year is just really stacked, so it's going to be left behind for the most part. I think it, you're right; it might win a couple of like like maybe sound or something like that. But yeah. Oh, but question: Are you going to watch the four-hour Baz Luhrmann director's cut edition of, of Elvis? No. <laughs> so I think I was going to say this earlier. Uh, the only the biggest criticism I have about this movie is that it's not insane enough. So yes, a four-hour cut, like Baz Luhrmann, better really invest himself into that one hour. But that's actually what this movie needs is another hour of nonsense. So. I, I will watch it if it comes out. I, the, I, I it probably would not get nominated though if it was the four hour version because people just wouldn't watch it to get to get. Nope, to get it nominated. would be out of every single category. All right, uh, moving on. Then we have Glass Onion, uh, the a Knives Out story. So, uh, director Ian Johnson is back as writer and director for the sequel to his best original screenplay nominated film, Knives Out, uh, with Daniel Craig reprising his role as master detective Benoit Blanc, taking on a brand new case. Um, as with the last film, a large ensemble cast of potential suspects and and or victims are featured, including Edward Norton, Janelle Monae, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jessica Henwick, Madeline Klein, Kate Hudson and Dave Bautista, no relation. Uh, to say uh, more would be a bit of a spoiler, um, though, again, this is a, this is a spoiler-friendly uh, a, a, a spoiler zone, uh, but I'll leave it at that for now. Um, according to Gold Derby, this one does have a lot of chances, but currently ranked 12th for Best Picture, uh, second for Adapted Screenplay, and sixth for Production Design. Now, since Netflix acquired the rights to two Knives Out sequels for $469 million, uh, rather than following the path of the first film, which made $165 million domestically and $312 million worldwide off of great word of mouth after their release, um, after their debut at the Toronto International Film Festival, Glass Onion opted to have a 600 theater release this past Thanksgiving weekend, American Thanksgiving, uh, which was Netflix's widest release ever. It made an estimated $9.2 million with the highest per theater average for the week. It then left theaters after 
after one week and will come to Netflix uh, December 23rd, which, again, by the time this episode comes out, will have been out for a week, for a week so spoilers ahead. Um, at the time of recording, though, it is 81 on Metacritic, 93% on both critics and an audience on Rotten Tomatoes, and 4.1 stars on Letterboxd with 76,000 reviews. Um, I know, Jeff, you saw this at the Toronto International Film Festival, and then uh, Pierre, I believe you saw this uh, this past uh, a, a recent weekend when it was out in theaters, as did I. Uh, so we'll start with you, Pierre. How did you think of uh, what did you think of Glass Onions? We'll we'll do spoiler free first before we get into the the spoiler territory. Sure, it's a really good self contained sequel that um, I, I I think places Ryan Johnson back in my my warmest of gratitudes. I guess I. I love how self-contained it is. It's so like I I I love how Ryan Johnson isn't shying away from the Agatha Christie um like reference not references but he's obviously very heavily inspired by Agatha Christie novels while adding a twist of his own. Uh, but he's he's doing a great job at it, and it, it's it's amazing how I mean I, I watched the uh, Death on the Nile which is literally based on an Agatha Christie book, I think, Agatha Christie. And this movie is so much better. This this is like really popularizing that style again. I think we're going to see a lot more whodunits um, because of movies like Glass Onion. I think it's an amazing movie for what it is, if that makes sense. All right. Uh, and what about uh, you, Jeff? How, how was the reaction in the audience when you saw that tiff? Oh, it was uh, it was big. People really liked that movie. Um, people I'm, I'm told still really like that movie. Uh, it was really good. I was blown away. Uh, I think coming out of it, I was, I like actually told my friends when this comes out in theaters, you, you have to see it in theaters. It's worth it. Um, which is not something I normally do. And this is a movie that, as I think you guys have both kind of said, it's really hard to talk about without spoilers. And I almost don't want to just because experiencing it basically blind that first time was such a cool experience that I don't want to rob anyone of that. It's so it's such a good movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I love Agatha Christie and just like any whodunit. Like I've, I've actually been a big fan of uh, Kenny B's Agatha Christie movies. Um, and yes, of the three Agatha, of the three Agatha Christie adjacent movies I've seen this year, even though I loved all of them, like all of them are minimum solid four stars from me. Uh, Death on the Nile is the worst one and Glass Onion is the best. All right. Uh, well, okay. Before we get into spoiler territory, right. I'll, I'll give again another warning when that happens. Um, I think, one question I have for you guys is you guys already saw the first one. How does this compare to the first uh, one? Do you like the first one better? Do you like this one better? And then secondly, you know, I, I think it's kind of a thing at this point that like, you know, the first Knives Out movie, there was like a twist halfway through that kind of like turned the mystery on its head that changed the nature of what the mystery actually was uh, partway through, maybe once or even twice, right, throughout the film. And, you know, again, I don't think it would be too much of a spoiler to say that they basically do the same thing midway through this film here, right? So. One, did knowing that that kind of twist was probably going to come because it's a Knives Out story, like how did you feel? One, did, did that change your appreciation of the film going into it as opposed to that very first time with the first Knives Out movie? And two, do you think the twist itself was as well executed as the first film was? I am a little surprised to hear you say that it has a twist like the first one because 
I guess this movie does technically have quite a twist in it, but I thought this movie was completely different from the first one, like right down to the, to the presentation of that twist. Like I found this movie was more of a quote unquote conventional twist, where in the first Knives Out movie, the twist is that they tell you how the, they tell you who did it in the first two seconds. Like it's right there. And then there's another twist on top of that. So the first Knives Out movie has like a very zigzaggy pattern where this one is um, very, I would almost say more straightforward, but it's able to use that in a really cool way to like just make a really good mystery. Interesting. Interesting. What about you, Pierre? What, do you, what was your take on, on the whole twist or is it actually a twist? The, the way both movies are presented is... Again, a, a very straightforward whodunit, and you are uh, at least that's the way it's advertised. Like this movie was advertised as the everyone goes to an island and someone's gonna die, basically, right? There is a, I, I'd say there is a twist. I wouldn't say it's like as huge as the first one, but this movie again wasn't trying to be like the first one. It was very different, uh, while keeping a lot of like the sim- similar tone, I guess, or similar themes. But I did like how, I guess it sticks itself apart with uh, really boosting up the supporting cast. I I think Daniel Craig was amazing in this. It's such a corny role, but he looks like he's having so much fun in it that it's hard not to love the guy. And um, compared to the first Knives Out, which I think you really only had like three main characters. This is definitely much more of an ensemble, which made it a lot more fun. Interesting. uh, I I would say my take is that I don't know, maybe it's been a while since I saw the first Knives Out film, but I personally, almost like the characterization of the first ensemble a little bit more. Maybe it was that it felt a little bit more, maybe, I feel, I don't know, I I don't remember the exact number of people. I feel like the first ensemble won a little bit bigger, right? So, you know, maybe you don't need as much characterization for each person since there were more of them. But I think because there were like fewer ensemble people here, I think that like, I think... I would have, I, don't know, I would have liked to see more out of Kath, uh, of Catherine Hahn, a little bit more out of Leslie Odom Jr. Right, like their roles are kind of flat. Um, I think Kate Hudson does a pretty good job with with her stuff. Dave Bautista, I think, has an interesting take on his. Um, and then, of course, Janelle Monet. Right, uh, I think it's kind of criminal that she's not in any real conversation on Gold Derby for supporting actress. I honestly have her in my top five for supporting actress so far. Um, what do you guys think of Janelle Monet? Uh, I heard a lot about her coming out of TIFF and I guess that just kind of fizzled out because I I don't know. I thought, I thought she was very good. I'd probably put her in like top 10. I don't think I'd have her top five, but yeah, she was good. I just, I think the problem is it's uh, not a very flashy role. Like it, obviously it's, there's a lot, there's a lot more to the role than a lot of people might expect. Um, but for Technically, for like a lot of the movie, the role is very subdued because, like, for the story. But the truth is, is that while meanwhile you have like the ensemble takes up most of the space, and again, so many of these characters are so bigger than life that you really run out of a lot of room for Gentleman A to really stick out. And she does, but it's just, it's just can you can't really hear her over the the loudness of everyone else's uh, amazing performances as well. 
Fair enough. So, all right, moving. I, I somehow we've we've gone spoiler free for this one, which I guess like you know if we don't really want to talk about too many spoilers, just in case there's the off chance someone is is listening to this. Um, I don't know. This one really does need to be seen blind, but we can probably talk about nominations, right? So, um, you know, do you think? Right now, it's its best chance is probably adapted screenplay, right? It's a sequel. Sequels always go to adapted. Um, I think it's a weak year for sequel, so I think it's a probably a, a pretty good chance this one gets in there. What do you guys think? I think it's very likely to get nominated for adapted screenplay. And like it could win, but I also think that's probably its best shot. I wouldn't be totally surprised to see it in something like hair and makeup or production design, but I wouldn't expect it either. Yeah, it's kind of like Knives Out, right? The first one was like a surprise original screenplay nomination, but not nothing else, right? The other thing, which I think this is like a good enough ta- good point as of a tangent as anything. So, I mean, going into the into the festival circuit earlier this year, kind of like the main hopes for Netflix seemed to be White Noise, right? The Noah Baumbach film starring Greta Gerwig and Adam Driver, and then the uh, AGI film Bardo, right? For for international, right? Bardo still has a chance at international, but it seems based on the poor reviews out of the film festivals that its chances are pretty much not there. So the question is, right, like, does Netflix have a nominee this year? This one is currently 12th, uh, which is their highest uh, highest potential nominee. I see. I, I know there's, like, buzz that maybe Pinocchio was able to, like, sneak into the Guillermo del Toro stop-motion one. But, you know, do we see a year that there is no Netflix nominations at the Oscars for Best Picture? Or do you think because, you know, this is probably – this or Pinocchio is the only realistic uh, Best Picture nomination for, for Netflix that they can focus all their energies into this one as opposed to splitting it among multiple films for Best Picture? I mean, I think the time for them to focus all their energy on Glass Onion has come and gone. Like, the the conversation around this movie has been so weird from Netflix because – For one thing, they absolutely could have given it a wide theatrical release and just chose not to. And when asked to defend that that decision, they were like, oh, we're not in the business of doing theaters, guys. We're a streaming service. Which, yes, that is true. But if you want to get awards, you're not allowed to say that. So I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with this. I think I think that Netflix's best hope is probably Pinocchio, because so far their press for Pinocchio has been very good and they haven't bungled it a hundred times yet. Yeah. What about you, Pierre? What do you think? Do you think, do you think we get a Netflix one this year and is it glass onion or is it Pinocchio or is it none? I don't know. Yeah. Again, it's a really stacked year. I think this is, this, this is probably one of my favorites of this year. I really hope it gets best picture. I don't think Pinocchio stands a chance in hell of getting a best picture. No, it's a, it's a good movie, but it's an animated stop motion movie. And I don't think any of those have ever been close to like, those are, it's really rare for one of those to win like best animated movie, much less get a best picture norm. So uh, yeah, they should, they should put all their efforts behind Nice Out and it's going to be close, but I think, I think it could make it. Also, I just want to say that like Bardo is ridiculous. Like it's got, it doesn't have a chance in hell of doing anything other than international, but it's like a really high budget art house Freddy got fingered. And like, that's just, it's just the weirdest thing. It's, it's worth seeing. It's so crazy. Is it more or less weird than Elvis? Uh, very different. Definitely. I would say, oh man, there, there's so much, there's so different kinds of weird because Elvis just like, 
Elvis is weird because it just bucks tra- it just bucks musical biopic conventions, and it's just Baz Luhrmann doing, uh, I guess, what his heart screams at him when he tries to go to sleep. And Bardo is like, what if I took my dream diary and spilled coffee on it and then made a movie about it? All right. And then uh, how do you describe our final film, which some would say is equally weird, uh, everything, everywhere, all at once, Jeff? Uh, Also weird, but like this movie was... Okay, so so I guess disclaimer, this is my favorite movie of the year by a long shot. Oh, no, it's mine also. I think the... The biggest thing that I think about this movie when I'm trying to like describe it very briefly is it feels like a big budget, like a really good big budget um, Marvel or superhero action movie. And it's an indie movie. And it feels like both of those things at the same time, which is pretty strange, but really refreshing because it's like it it's. I don't know. This movie's this movie's awesome. It's not afraid to be weird, but it also has a lot of heart. All right, and like we, not just in a meme way. All right, we will we will we'll, we'll loop around and ask Pierre his opinion. But first, to properly cue it up, uh, everything over all at once is from the Daniels, which is the directing and writing team behind the farting corpse Daniel Radcliffe movie Swiss Army Man, the DJ Snake Little John music video turned down for what. Um, Arguably the best film about the multiverse that has come out this year um, in the sci-fi action comedy. Following Ev- follows Evelyn Wang, played by Michelle Yeoh, a laundromat proprietress who, on a very hectic day at the IRS, discovers the, the multiverse of possibilities of what her life could have been and how C, this iteration, is the key to stopping the omnicidal multiversal threat, Jobu Tupaki. Um, also featured in the cast is our Stephanie Su as Evelyn's queer daughter, Joy, Kehui Kwan, uh, who after a 30-year hiatus from acting uh, as Sword Round from Temple of Dune and Data from the Goonies, makes his return to the silver screen. He's her meek husband, Waymond Wong. And then Jamie Lee Curtis is Deidre, the IRS agent, as well as James Hong as Evelyn's father. Um, according to Gold Derby, this is currently ranked as second for best picture, third for best picture, or third for best director, second for best actress for Michelle Yeoh, which I have strong feelings about, uh, fifth and sixth for best supporting actresses for Stephanie Su and Jamie Lee Curtis, respectively, first for Best Original Supporting Actor for Kei Hui Kwan, first for Original Screenplay, sixth for Costume Design, second for Editing, and then next, the Best Picture has uh, it for uh, fifth for Visual Effects, uh, since Gold Derby doesn't have, which is insane because the Visual Effects team was like five people on this. Um, Anyway, after debuting at South by Southwest, it had a March 25th limited release in 10 theaters where it achieved the highest per theater average of the year, uh, $50,000. Went on to have a stellar box office run for A24, uh, hitting $70 million by the end of its run domestically and becoming the first film to cost $100 million on the global box office. Currently has an 81 on Metacritic, 95% on critics, and 89% audience on Tomatoes, and 4.4 stars on Letterboxd out of 796,000 reviews, though it briefly held Letterboxd Box's highest rated film of all time being the third film to do so, currently settling now at number 13 on their all time list. Uh, okay, so we heard Jeff's thoughts on it. I already said it's my favorite film of the year, which I'll get to more in a second. Pierre, what are your thoughts on everything, everywhere, all at once? Uh, I, I think it's like one of the greatest movies of all time, in my opinion. I really hope it leaves a legacy because it's basically, I, I love how. It's because a lot of this multiverse stuff, I guess, has been building. It's interesting watching kind of the trail of how um, 
a lot of the multiverse stuff started like 10 years ago. I think it, it started on community and then the directors of community it ended up working for Marvel, which is where maybe where they're getting their multiverse stuff from. And then they also produced this movie. So it's been really cool to see kind of like the ramping up of the multiverse aspect in filmmaking across different uh, parts of the, the industry. But it's, it, I feel like this like perfected it, if that makes sense. Like I, I love Into the Spider-Verse too, which is ironic because I think they're both a couple of the best movies of all time. Um, I feel like this, this is just so out there and so different from anything we've seen before that it's, it's bound to leave a huge legacy. And I really think this deserves a lot of praise on the, on the Oscar, on the route to the Oscars or whatever it's called. It's, it's, it's such a unique movie. And I don't even like, it's, it's more of an, ex, an experience in a movie. Like I, when I watch this, it, it feels like something, it felt like watching, I don't know, maybe that's how they felt like when they watched Star Wars or something like that for the first time. It's just so different that I, I can't imagine how they thought of this movie and how they made it work that, I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, for me specifically, right? Like I'm Asian American, right? And so obviously there's a huge Asian American community. This. I mean, Kei Kwan came out of retirement because he saw Michelle Yo in Crazy Rich Asians. And then he ended up, this is his first role he got after acting. Uh, and yeah. And then, and then obviously one of the, the Daniels is Asian American. And there's this whole, like kind of like this thorough line of like, you know, like Asian family and, and immigrating to the U S and starting a lot of them. And just so many, uh, so much to unpack there, which I don't think we have time for here. Right. But it's just like, you know, just, just, just living like what experience you have, the expectations of your family and all that. There's, there's so much to unpack there. Um, and then I think for me, right, like, you know, looking at all the other best picture contenders I've, I've been watching for, you know, these couple of episodes, right? I'm, I'm talking about Fablemans and Tar next week, right? Um, and, and, you know, those are, and then obviously Banshee's Vincere and we talked about this week. And like, those are good movies. Those are, in fact, great movies, right? They're all technically very well done. Um, but I don't think... I don't think any of them have the same. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to heart for me, right? I think like that monologue that Kehui Kwan gives as Raymond at the end of the film and like the conclusion that, that Michelle Yeoh comes to like, you know, taking everything, everyone at once. Like I, I read one take somewhere that this is kind of like the first post-internet movie, really, right? Like this is the first movie to really tackle what it means to be online where there's this, like you were talking earlier, Jeff, about, film Twitter, right? There's just so much of everything, everywhere, all at once, online, being an online native, right? And like, how do we deal with and take in all that, right? And and processing it. And something and, and frankly, right, like the like in recent recent years, recent months, it's like, yeah, it kind of like leads to a degree of nihilism, right? Which is kind of like what Jobu Tabaki, right? Which again, spoilers, is is joy, right? Uh in the film, right? Like, you know, her perspective, like it, it all means nothing, right? But then it means nothing, but it, at the same time, it also means everything at the end, right? And you can choose what matters to you specifically at the end. And just like that heart, that takeaway is just like so meaningful and so powerful. It, it literally changed my perspective on like how to approach life. So honestly, if like this one should be the, the, the best picture one of the year, right? Like Fablemans, Tar, Banshees, step aside. This, this, this speaks, I think, to the moment that we as a society have today, what it means to be an, an individual alive today, I think. I think um, to sort of build on a point that Pierre said earlier, like this feels like what it felt like to watch Star Wars. I'm paraphrasing you, but I think that's kind of what you said. Um, it's 
I I mean, first off, I agree. Like sitting in this is one of the like it was it was such a cool uh movie going experience and like it did feel like I was watching something it felt like I was watching something major when I was watching it. And like what I wanted to say about that is there's a lot of movies, especially this year, and I'm not throwing any of these under the bus, but there's a lot of movies, especially this year, about like that, that do sort of try to recapture the magic of movies and the love of movies and like what it was like to grow up and want to make movies. Uh, there's one specifically that I'm sort of kind of leaning into, but there's a bunch like Steven Spielberg is doing the Fablemans, which is basically autobiographical. It's like, it's, it's almost completely autobiographical. Um, then there was like James Gray with Armageddon time, which I guess isn't really about movies, but it's still his, we get a lot of like the right now, there's a lot of directors doing stuff about their childhoods and like what inspired them. And that's really cool. And like, there's, it's valid. That's a really nice, that's a really like good style of movie. But what I haven't seen in a while is like, the kind of movie that made Spielberg famous. Like when he put out Jaws, it was something people hadn't seen before. When George Lucas put out Star Wars, it was technically something that people had seen before, but it was something that people hadn't seen before too, in ways, because like they'd never seen it on that scale. And like, if you were sitting in, in, uh, if you were sitting in a theater watching Jaws, or if you were sitting in a theater watching Star Wars, there's a good chance that that wasn't, uh, that you as a, as a cinephile, that wasn't the greatest movie you'd seen that year. But there's also a good chance that you like saw something important, like not even a good chance. You saw something important when you were in that. And like, that's what this feels like. It, there's just so much. There's just so much in just like, the, obviously, I mean, the Daniels are just one of a kind, right? Or I guess two of a kind since there are a pair of them, right? Um, I mean, like, who comes up with Farted Corpse movie and the Turn On For What music video and then puts this out, right? I mean, it's, I don't know. This, I'm going to this... have to just ask you to stop forgetting the death of Dick Long, please. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> I, I'm just going for what they're most known for. Um, but I guess this is what they're most known for now. So, all right. I mean, it's, it's like, I, 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 this is, it's clear why this is like number one for original screenplay, right? And it would be a crime if this doesn't win that, right? I, 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 I don't know. I don't want to be hyperbolic, but this is like one of those. This is this is like I in in my what three years so far of doing the death race. I mean, the only film which I really felt like this must win this category is Parasite, and I'm getting a lot of the same feeling for this one. Right? It's just like so new and so inventive that like I will be terribly upset if this does not win. Uh, I mean. Original screenplay, I think it definitely deserves to win. Kerry Hui Kwan, like his comeback story, arguably is better than than Brendan Fraser's comeback story to some degree, right? Um, Michelle Yeoh, I mean, again, all credit due to Kate Blanchett. Uh, again, her character as as Ellen just has so much heart to it, and just like doing so many different things in her multiversal forms. It's just like acting out the wazoo, basically. Like I, I still think it's crazy that she's not number one, though I, I understand why. Right, I mean, there's just so much to love here. Like, I, I, I cannot speak rationally about this film whatsoever. Someone, someone, take the microphone away from me. I guess, like, technically, I understand. I, I understand these numbers because I know what is technically above it in those different categories. But on, but like, and I am very biased. I do not know how this movie could miss in any category that it gets nominated yeah. for. 
Yeah, I mean, okay, visual effects, like, sir, loses to James Cameron, who's literally spent 13 years making the visual effects for this. Like, which the fact that they were getting nom- they would get nominated with a five-person team working in Adobe After Effects is kind of insane, right? Uh, to be fully fair to James Cameron, though, he needs $500 billion and three Oscars in order to make his money back on that movie. Fair enough. He's probably going to do at this point. So, oh yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I mean, you were talking earlier about a film that like makes people you see something important in it. I think Avatar, frankly, is going to probably be one of those movies this year, probably. Um, yeah, and then I mean, there's a whole debate about oh, is it going to be Stephanie Sue or Jamie Lee Curtis for best supporting actress? Like, should one of them, should both of them get in? How's that going to shake out? I mean. Just give both of them in, right? I think. Um, I personally have a thing. I personally have like a bias for Stephanie Sue, right? Um, but I know how the the academy is with like younger actresses to some degree. So, um, and they like to reward older legacy actresses to, as well. So, I don't know, uh, Pierre. Do you have any other thoughts before I start just rambling incoherently even more? <laughs> uh, I, I'm not too concerned if this. It's such a it's such a weird movie, and that I I wouldn't be that angry if it didn't win oscars honestly like i don't i don't think it needs oscars at this point um i would really like to see it in terms of uh popularity grow again just just from the oscars race because you know it's 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 been almost well it's been like 10 months since it came out so it'd be really nice to see it kind of get a second wind if that makes sense um yeah, it's in the public cr- eye it's, it's crazy because like when was the last time an oscar film debuted at south by southwest Never, I think. Right. right? Yeah. I don't think it's ever happened. Yeah, and then and then yeah. like you no. Know, aside from like Get Out, right? Like it's very rare for an indie film released earlier in the year to even be in the Oscar conversation. And yet here we are. It's probably honestly this like like aside from Avatar and maybe Top Gun for technical awards, this probably will be get the most nominations for anyone this year. I would like to think so. Ideally, yeah. I. I, I guess it's just like it's already done what it needed to do. Like it, it really put the the Daniels in the spot. I think they have don't they have like a they got a deal with Universal. I think yeah yeah. It's like that's that's all they ever wanted. Probably they don't probably don't care about the awards that much right now. It made the most money of any A twenty four movie. Like it's it's already it's already won in my opinion. And like all the I mean me and Jeff talk about this on our podcast, but all the greatest most influential movies of all time. Didn't really win that many Oscars, from what I can tell, right? So, um, honestly, if this wins a lot of Oscars, I'd be more concerned about its long- longevity in the future than anything else. So, like, uh, I think... I was going to say, come Oscar night, you know, if this doesn't win as many as I would like it to, I'll keep your words in mind, Pierre. You know, the, your words of wisdom. This doesn't need <laughs> okay. the Oscars to be successful. It's already been there successful enough. <laughs> yeah, but I'd still love it to win. Like, that's not, Of course. That's not the same. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the biggest awards in my mind, which is it actually got me to per- not rent, but purchase it on Amazon Prime. So I would always have a copy of it so long as Amazon Prime servers exist, which I've never done for any other movie before. So, yeah. Any other closing thoughts on everything all at once? I mean, I could talk for another two hours on this film. I know we don't have time for that. Um, I'll just say quickly that it's cool to see. I guess we've, it's like been three or four, three years in a row that we've, I don't know, I don't know about last year. We've had a lot of Asian asian um represented movies at least in the oscars i think that's been really nice to see yeah because for sure, for sure. I, I think uh, asians are definitely um or i haven't seen i can't think of any like parasite was the first asian-led movie right much less asian made to win 
to win. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like Minari, Minari got in there, right? Got got a little bit. Uh, Chloe Zhao, you know, is Asian American as well. So, um, you know, it's definitely definitely a movement which I'm I'm happy to support, sir. Um, Jeff, anything on your end? Oh, I was just gonna say, like my last, my favorite movies from the last four years of Oscars have been Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Drive My Car, and Parasite. So, like, I uh, I fully support that. I want to see. I mean, I've been I've been heavily watching South Korea for, ever since Parasite to like make sure they win another international. That'd be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, you know, we have decision to leave this year as well. So we'll see how that one does. Um, okay, final question on everything all at once. Favorite scene from this batshit insane movie? What's what's your favorite scene slash memory from this film? That's a crazy question. <laughs> it's uh, it's definitely the rocks. The scene where they become rocks <laughs> the first time. Um, so so far, I've only seen this movie in theaters. I've seen it four times, but I've only seen it in theaters. Uh, and when I saw it in theaters, every single time that scene starts, the entire theater goes silent. And like, you know, because everyone has to read the, because there's no music and everyone just has to read the um, the subtitles. And like, the subtitles are really funny. So all of a sudden you're in this theater that's just dead silent, except for occasional like audible chuckles, which is I, I've never had that in any movie before in my life. And I looked forward to it every single time I went to see it. It was th- this movie. It was so, it was so cool. Yeah. I think for me, it's a top. Obviously, the rock scene is, is, is big in there. I would say to toss it between Rakakuni, which is like such a dumb joke, but it just works so well. And then, um, and then the other one is uh, the Wong Kar Wai scenes, like the Wong Kar Wai inspired scenes, where like it's like a past, ver- like another version of her and, and Raymond, like in the, and like they're all dressed like really moody in like a movie theater and whatnot. Like that's super aesthetic. I love that as well. Um, Pierre, any anything? About, just don't think too hard about it. Just what comes to the top of your head. Don't say butt butt yeah. fight. <laughs> no, that was uh, the first scene. Is uh... Probably the, I guess it's not even, it's barely, it's like a, the montage with Wayman um, talking about how uh, he just wants, he thinks everyone should just be nicer and it like span to all the different multiverses. That's like a an amazingly edited shot act. It's like, it's got it all. And it's, it's all, I don't know how they pulled that off. And it's the corniest speech, like ever. I love the speech. It's really corny, but like, just like how much could have gone wrong in that, in that, sequence that they and they made it like perfect is like um, it, it astounds me it really would not have worked with anyone except except kehu kwan i think all right we've ran, rambled about everything ever all at once uh, i could do it more like i said but uh you know we're, we're coming on an hour so you know just closing thoughts again these were just good films uh some of us think elvis is better than others but uh just good films in general uh so overall thoughts on these films and and where you think they stand for the oscars and and best picture specifically um i think well first off thank you very much for I'll, i'll say this again but thank you very much for having us on this episode because i like all four of these movies and i doubt that any other episode you could have done would have been all four would have been four movies that i really really like yeah how many how many times have you guys been on my podcast actually is this the second or the third time uh this is i think the third time together i've mm. been on one more time all right 
Fair enough. Fair enough. So yeah, I mean, okay. So movies you like, but again, thoughts about these films that you all that you like all of them, Jeff. <laughs> I I like all of them, and I think all of them. I think three of the four are going to be well represented at the Oscars in some form, mostly below the line, but like, I think quite a few above the lines too. And Glass Onion is just a good movie that people should see. And uh, I think that if you do see it, it is very likely, if you like mysteries, to be one of your favorite movies of the year. I don't know that I would expect to see too much of it at the Oscars. Fair. I shout out to uh, See How They Run, which is another whodunit I really enjoyed in theaters this year. That was the second best whodunit I've seen this year of the three. Nice. Uh, Pierre, what about you? Any thoughts about just these collection of films? It's just exciting to see how how this year's shaping up. I mean, I think we could talk about like the, this is probably a great episode to be on. I think last year, any of the episodes would have been kind of Kind of depressing for I, me to talk. I remember. About I, I remember we did. We did not like enjoy talking about uh, um King Richard last year or Belfast that much. Right. Like I. No matter what. Like I. I don't think any of these. Like I. I don't think any of these movies are perfect. Obviously, but they're all. They're all. Except really everything ever all at once. That's per. That's a perfect film. No notes. Yeah, it's pretty uh, I, I, even that. Like I. I think nope, I, no. I notes, think no I notes. No notes. I. I refuse to acknowledge any notes. Um. But you know, I like I I could I could speak praises about all these movies, and not not only are they like really good movies, they're like very interesting in terms of they're all extremely different, and they're all very um, they all I think they all they all are very creatively like interesting. So um, like I, I love like I this could have been a year. I, I feel like a lot of Oscar years end up being like biopics and like based on true story stuff. This is like, you have some of that, you have some very interesting original movies. Um, it's it's really exciting. This I, I might watch the Oscars this year. We'll see. I would really don't want to, but I might just because so many of the movies are really good. Pierre, every year you say you might, and then every year you do, and we talk about it right after. Well, because we have to. I don't even to. have to prompt you. I don't even <laughs> no, no. prompt you for that anymore. Uh, yeah, we'll I see, think. We'll see. I think, yeah, you guys, you know, I like I said, I don't think Elvis is that great a movie. It's an okay movie, right? It's just, I think, way too long to, for me for me to really consider it a good movie. Um, that said, I think I think I think you guys have, have shifted my mind. I think I, I will say Elvis is a fun movie. It's long, but you can find fun in it, right? Um, and I think all of these films are fun movies, which I think, again, compared to last year, right? Not to put too much shade on any film last year, but you know, those some of those films were. I will appreciate their technical elements, but I didn't really find much fun in them. This one has this, these films bring me joy. These spark. I love. I loved almost every single thing about Drive My Car, and it made me feel horrible about myself. And like, I like these. Yeah, I enjoy these movies, and they don't always make me feel horrible about myself. This year. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right. And on that note, uh, any non-Oscar films that you guys uh, have been watching or looking forward to that you guys want to recommend? Uh, let's start with you, Pierre. Uh, looking forward, I think Avatar is like that's going to shake things up entirely. Like I think I think all these rankings are going to be completely thrown off once Avatar enters the ring. So it's going to be very fun to watch. I, I like I, maybe not Best Picture actually. I don't know if the the Oscars will go for Avatar twice just because. Don't doubt James. I don't want to. Just don't doubt James. I don't want to jinx. No, that's the thing. Like. I because I, I kind of see it as like the like I think Glass Onion has much worse of a chance this year than 
uh, Knives Out did just because Knives Out kind of was like the first to do that Ryan Johnson whodunit concept and really make it popular. So it might be the same with Avatar where, you know, we've seen in the past where sequels are, aren't as well-received, but are not well-received Oscars-wise, if that makes sense. Unless you're the Godfather. Um, unless you're the Godfather, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I don't, unless Robert De Niro takes, uh, what's his name's place as the lead. Well, I don't even remember what the guy's name is. Jeff, what's his Benoit, name? Benoit Blanc? No, the lead of Avatar. Sam Worthington. Oh, Jake Sully. Sam, Sam Worthington. Worthington. Yeah, yeah. I I don't see that happening. But I think it, it has, a, again, it's hard to doubt James Cameron. I think he's probably one of the most, if not the most influential directors of our time. So I am not doubting him at all. And I'm really excited to see the movie as well as how it shakes things up Oscar-wise. All right. And then what about you, Jeff? Any any Oscar film or, or non-Oscar films that you're excited for? Well, I'm just going to tease one that you're going to talk about eventually because it's going to win best score at the Oscars by a mile. But also, uh, this ties in really nicely to the Avatar discussion because uh, I'm talking about one of the other most influential directors of our time. Uh, Damien Chazelle recently made a movie called Babylon, and it is awesome. I'm so excited to hear people Did you talk see about it? it. Yeah, it's it's got my favorite score in any movie from at least the last year, probably like the last five. It's so good. Awesome. That is not one I think I'll be seeing when I'm with my, with my parents in Florida, uh, but I'll probably see it when I get back. <laughs> uh, and then uh, otherwise, any other films from 2023 that you're looking forward to, either Oscar or non-Oscar related? I barely remember what's coming out next year but i think jerry seinfeld has like a donut movie or something coming out and he did <laughs> and it was awful and like i kind of want to see what he does when he does another movie that's probably also awful uh i'd oh, say uh spider-man what's what was it called across, across the universe spider-verse across, across the, the spider across the spider-verse that's that's something i'm really looking forward to i can't think of any any others off i haven't been uh, looking up movies for next year, but yeah, fair enough. Well, yeah, is there anything you guys want to plug? Obviously, classic movies lives, but social media links or anything. I'll look in the show notes. But where can where can people get a hold of you if they want to um, also join the, the the fan club for everything, everywhere, all at once, and uh, say that and tell you you guys are wrong about your Elvis opinions? I'll uh, I'll give Pierre a couple of minutes to figure out our Instagram handles so that he can uh, promote those in a minute here, but. Uh, uh, we just finished, as of the time of this recording, we just finished season three of Classic Movies Live. As of the time of this recording, our last episode comes out tomorrow. As of the time this releases, we should be about to release our second episode of season four, which I'm really excited for because in the previous episode, the one that everyone has already heard that we haven't recorded yet, we talked about Avatar, The Way of the Water. What an amazing discussion that was. And then in the episode tomorrow, we talked about our favorite episodes, our favorite movies of this year. So there's probably a lot of overlap with this episode, actually. And you can find that on Spotify for sure. And potentially by the time this comes out, other links as well. Paolo will have all of the links to Yeah. And what about you? Any you said you're on on film Twitter now, Jeff. What's your what's your handle at? <laughs> uh, we are at UBCO CML. Uh, and Pierre, were you able to find that Instagram or Letterboxd or whatever whatever else? Uh, I will probably do we, we don't have an Instagram, right? If we not, had to name the, it, I, yeah. <laughs> not at the time we of will, this recording. We will. we will we we do now. Uh, 
I'm saying this is the future. It's I guess it's it'd be called Classic Movies Live. I think that would probably be available. All right, that we'll right. we'll, yeah. we'll figure it out. It's mostly I'll, just been Avatar posting. All right, I will I will put yeah, it onto <laughs> I will I will put it onto the show notes. Um, thank you guys for coming on for this third time. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you guys next year for the fourth time. Hopefully, the movies are just as good as they are this year. Um, but yeah, thanks again, and it definitely make sure you check out their episodes, Classic Movies Live, um, quality content out there, uh, and post much more frequently than I do. So <laughs> yeah, all right, thanks guys. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks again to Jeff and Pierre for hopping on the mic, as always, to talk about these classic movies live or as live as you can be with a pre-recorded podcast. Um, as I noted, I'll link their their their, their uh, podcast in the show notes, um, including their episodes not only on Banshees of Inisherin, but also Elvis and Everything Everywhere All At Once. Uh, they don't have one for Glass Onion. Um, I also linked to all of their social media, including Twitter and Letterboxd. Unfortunately, at the time of publication, they still haven't set up that Instagram that they were talking about. Next week on the podcast, I bring on my friend Alex, who went on the podcast last year, to talk about movies that sparked joy for him, or at least that he was looking forward to. Uh, Pinocchio, Fablemans, Top Gun Maverick, and Tar, with a small bonus RRR conversation. Um, in the meantime, though, I hope you all have a wonderful new year. Keep watching movies. That wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Let me know how your Death Race is going on Twitter at OscarsDRacecast, or via email at OscarsDeathRacePodcast at Zeno.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your podcast service of choice, iTunes, Spotify, Google play and if you can leave us a review there on podchaser.com or even just share with a friend any of who loves movies any of that helps those will be linked in the show notes alongside my letterbox account under the username ninja boy boy with an i also be sure to check out the oscar race and oscars death race subreddits and the academy of death racers discord as well as oscarsdeathrace.com music is provided by kevin mccloud you can find his stuff at a competent of homies.io editing production provided by ninja boy media that's it for this week this has been paul of the oscars death race podcast until next time i'll be here trying to watch all the oscar nominees or die trying.